Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the very last episode of Keep It Fictional for 2020. It is December 30th. Let's just let that date sink in for a little bit. December 30th. I don't know whether people are feeling a mild panic right now or they're just relief that there's only two more days for this year. I don't know. But I am sure by now you are tired probably of talking or listening to anything about 2020. So I think we're going to focus today on the good stuff, on what keep us going no matter what kind of year it is. I am, of course, talking about the wonderful books, the amazing authors that kept our spirits up for 2020. Um, and so today we're here to celebrate them, celebrate the great books that we have read. And uh, each of us, the five of us, have chosen our top, we think we have chosen our top five books that are published in 2020. And I can't wait to find out because we have sort of kept our list secret from one another. So I'm really excited to know what's on everybody's list, whether there are any duplicates, you know, can there be some weird Venn diagram happening between some of our picks? I guess we will find out. So today with me, we have Sadie. Hello, Sadie. How are you doing? I am doing very well, Virginia. How are you? Good. So I want to know, just looking at your list today, were there books on there that right away you're like, when you're reading them, you're like, yeah, that's going on my list. Or did you have to like sort of choose five in the end, looking at like a really great list of books? Uh, so there's definitely one. So my top pick for the year was a immediate pick as I started to read it. Um, I don't think anyone will probably be surprised when I mention what it is because I have talked about it quite a bit. Um, so yeah, so that one was was definitely an immediate an immediate choice. I knew that was going to make the list. The other ones were were not quite as immediate. So there there were some as I was reading that I, I really enjoyed, uh, but it wasn't until I looked at all of the books that I'd read that were published this year and kind of went through them. Um, over the last few days, trying to pick pick my my top ones uh, that I that I settled, and to be completely honest with you, I currently have six. So I no no I, I see Korean's face. It's going to be a last second decision. So I'm not going to talk about six. I'm just going to have to choose which one uh, is going to make the cut. So all right. So no one is breaking the rule. Don't worry. Promise. Right? Okay. I promise. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, I can't wait to find out what was on your list because, you know, you're the only other big fantasy reader here. Mm -hmm. So I want to see if there's anyone that I could put on my list for 2021. So I'm really excited about all that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so with me today, of course, we also have Miss Corrine. Hello, Miss Corrine. Why, hello, Virginia. Well, Miss Corrine, I want to ask you because you, well, 2020 is... Amazing, obviously. Um, and 
you are the only one out of all the five of us that have said that you reread books, right? Yes. So I want to know, in 2020, did you real like did you find that you reread more books because you're looking for like those good, solid comfort reads, or were you looking for something like new so that you can like you know have something exciting and fresh? Oh, great question. Um, I did end up reading a rereading a couple of ones that I was kind of like chasing endorphins at a certain point. Like I just need something to feel good, just to feel good. So I found feel myself alive. Feel alive. Yeah. I would like to feel period. So I did find myself yeah, going back to a couple of ones that are just like a pure joy. Um, yeah. And then also, cause there was new stuff coming out that I've been really waiting for this, this kind of like butt of the year has been a little bit difficult because there's all the new stuff in. So I found kind of like recently I've been reading a lot more new stuff and kind of not going back to the old. Butt of the year. That's something I said. Yes. Never know what's going to come out of our mouth in this particular episode. All right. Great. And we also have Fiona. Hello, Fiona. Hello. All right, our Kenlit rep and our fan of graphic novels. So I want to know how much CanCon are we going to have today on your list? Ooh, that is an excellent question. I don't think I chose any CanCon. <laughs> I know. We were counting on you, Fiona. <laughs> I, I, I didn't read... I don't know. I had a weird reading year and I, I don't think I read all that much Canadian. Okay. Graphic novels? Any graphic novels on your list? Yeah, quite a lot of graphic novels. I think it was a pretty good uh, graphic novel year. Like a couple stand out, but then also just a lot of like, just, just good quality and quantity, I think, for graphic novels. Nice. Nice. All right. Well, I guess we'll have to find someone to represent those CanCon then. Yeah, come on, Liz. (laughs) All right, Liz. How are you doing? Uh, not so good with the CanCon. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Somebody else will uh, have to take that torch up this episode. So Liz, you said that you are usually a very mood-based reader. So when you pick your list, were you also kind of like, depending on what your mood was, this, like just, I, I'm assuming you pick your list recently. So was it also very based on like your mood or like how you feel about this year? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, previous years, I found very clear-cut finalists for my best of list. This year, it was really difficult. I don't know if um, everything on my list are, you know, the best ever books that I've read. Um, best of this year, yeah. But I'm, like Corrine, I'm still furiously reading 2020 books and kind of agonizing over well, what if there are things that I, I've left off with this list that I just haven't read yet? But, you know, got to let that go and the show must go on. Yeah, well, there's still two days, two days left. So, you know, you can fit all of those in in the next in the next two days. All right. So, everyone, um, before we start our countdown top five, I am so excited. I want to know what is your guess of how many duplicates we're going to have today? I can think of two books that I think there's some pretty strong overlap on. 
And I'm going to, I, I have two titles. I'm going to write them down and then we'll see if we're, I'm right. All right. Okay. And Fiona, you, you said three, right? Yeah. And I'm only sure of one, but I'm leaving space for, you know, a couple wild cards. <laughs> okay. All right. Sadie, any guesses? I'm going to say three as well. And I'm writing them down as well. This? I'm going to say four. Ooh. Well, we do have like, well, we're going to talk about 25 books. So you think four of them will be. I go back to three. I forgot one book. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm feeling All pretty right. confident. Oh, okay. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Okay. I've got three and I'm writing them down. What about you, Virginia? How many repeats do you think? I feel like two. Okay. I'm going to be conservative. It, it all depends on Sadie, I have to say. <laughs> My three books depend on Sadie picking very specific titles. So Sadie is sort of in the middle of that Venn diagram. So depending on what oh, okay. book I, uh, of my six that I, I decide not to talk about, I, I could make or break this for Kareem. You could, you could. Oh, <laughs> all right. All right. Well, well, let's see. Let's see <laughs> who has the best guess. All right. So um, this is our pick number five, number five. And I know some of you have ranked your books. Some of you did not. So we'll see what happens. So my number five pick was actually the hardest one because my first four was like, I kind of know where I'm going with those. And then when you only have one spot left, you're like, oh no, like, what am I going to pick? There's only one left. So this was sort of the hardest one, but I end up picking something I think that really represents what I love about speculative fiction and what it can do. So my number five pick is The Heap by Sean Adams. This is a debut novel. And the like summary of the story is that it's about this 500-story monument, this architectural wonder that is this big housing complex that this billionaire has decided to build. And inside is supposed to contain a pretty much an independent sustainable sort of self-contained city and the story begins after the city has collapsed this whole building has collapsed now I guess it didn't build very well and now it is just a giant rubble and the company and this billionaire decided that they're going to build sort of a town around it and they're going to focus on the excavation they're going to invite people to come dig through the rubble and salvage sort of what they could find. And Orville was one of the person that decided to join the digging team, but he's there for a personal reason. His brother Bernard moved to this building called the Vert. He moved there and miraculously, he is still alive. He was a DJ before the building collapsed and somehow he is still broadcasting from underneath this giant rubble and he is broadcasting every day. And this radio show has gone viral. Everyone is listening to this and people can call in and ask him about what life is like and ask him questions about how he's living, how he's surviving and sort of all of that. And every day after work, 
Orville will bike to the phone booth to give his brother a call. And the conversation with his brother is broadcasted throughout the world so everybody can listen in. One day he was approached by the owner of the radio station and he told Orville how popular his show is, how everybody loved listening to him and his brother. And, you know, there are people out there who really want this show to succeed, just want to keep this going as long as we can. So there are sponsors who would like to support the show. And all you have to do, Orville, is just slide in some product placement as you're talking to your brother. You might be discussing the weather and you might be saying to your brother, oh, like, it's so hot out here, you know, and like working on site, it's just, oh, I sweat a lot, but thank goodness for this X and Y deodorant, you know, keep me dry all day, 24 hours or whatever. And just just slide those in, just slide those sponsors in. And Orville was furious when he heard that. And when, when this guy suggested to him, that's what he should do. And he's like, no, I will never do that. I don't want to see you just go away. And the guy said, you know, there's going to be consequences if you don't agree to this. And Orville was like, Psh, whatever, what are you going to do? Like take the show off? You, you're the one who said that how popular this is. So he walked away, super mad about what's happening. Next day, when he biked to the phone booth, he discovered what the consequences is. There was a guy there, there was a sign on the phone booth and Orphie was like, well, I need to use the phone. And he's like, well, you can't because it's been disconnected. This phone doesn't work anymore. And Orphie found out that it must be the radio station. They must have done something to it. So biking away, panicking, but what he's going to do now, he turned on the radio to listen to his brother and he found out the other consequence of refusing to do advertisements on the show. Like, I really enjoy the premise, but at that point of the story, I sat up and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be like amazing. And it was such a creative story. It was so much fun to read. Good science fiction is always about social commentary. And this building in itself, it's kind of like a social experiment. And when you think about, oh, a 500-story building in itself is a society. And so, you know, like the, the rich people must, you know, live on the top. And then you have like the poor people at the bottom. Well, it's not like that. Sean Adams did a really interesting world building with this. The half and the half-nots are not divided by up and down. It's completely divided by something else. And it was so amazing to watch how he built this world. At the heart of the story, you have the two brothers, and what I find really interesting is that usually you have, you know, sibling relationships always like, oh, you know, like they're, they're like, they're really close and sort of, you know, they, they're trying to connect through this. But in Orville and Bernard's case, it's completely different. They weren't close at all. They don't even like, really like each other. So when this tragedy happens, Orville feel obligated. He's like the only family member left. So he's kind of stuck. Like he has to, like, what is he going to do? Like ignore his brother, right? So he has to go and talk to his brother and every night. And not only that, people are listening to your conversation and just trying to find things to talk about beyond sort of the mundane was a very strange thing for Orville to do. Um, and so just kind of the exploration of that relationship. I think this book just eke out from all the other ones that that could be my number five pick because of how creative it is. Looking forward to see what this author would do next. And so that is The Heap by Sean Adams. So that is my number five pick. So... 
I'm going to find out what your picks are. Sadie, what is your number five pick? So my number five pick was actually, uh, there's a couple of them on this list that I was very excited about reading um, in our back to school episode. And this one originally drew me in. It is a uh, middle grade novel and it originally drew me in because it is loosely based on the Les Miserables story. Um, and I absolutely love Les Miserables. It is my all-time favorite musical. I have been in it. I cannot stop listening to it. Um, so I love anything that is based on uh, Les Miserables. So my number five pick is A Wish in the Dark by Christina Suntornvat. And um, this story revolves around Pong. And uh, Pong was born in a prison and... Because he was born in a prison, basically he is believed to not be able to accomplish anything. And so he will stay in the prison until the time that he is 13, even though he has not done anything wrong. And then he will be released to try and make his own way in the world. And uh, Pong lives in the world where the governor controls everything. And the governor, a few years back, he brought light back to this city after there was a, a gigantic fire and he brought light back with magic. And so he is revered by all of the citizens of this city, except for the citizens of the prison. Um, they don't necessarily feel the exact same way about him. And Pong is given the opportunity, inadvertently given the opportunity to escape the prison. Um, he has a very close friend in the prison and it, it's really difficult for him to leave, but he decides that he's going to take this opportunity. He hides in a, uh, a bin full of, I believe it's durian, very bad smelling um, durian to get out of this prison. And so he escapes from this prison. He uh, travels down the river and um, stumbles onto a, um, a temple and He's taken in by the priests there and trained to live in this temple. He eventually reconnects with some people who are from, um, from where he grew up. And uh, he discovers that one of these people is the daughter of the prison warden. And her name is Nock. And she is very... She follows the rules. She always does everything right. She is sort of the pride of her of her family um, because she always does everything right. And she is brought to the small village where this temple is. Um, and unbeknownst to her, she is brought there by her family to be left behind. Um, and she doesn't really know why, but she's brought to this to this small village. And when she is there, she sees Pong, and she recognizes him as a young prisoner who she saw years and years ago when she visited the prison with her family. So she decides that it is going to be up to her to find him and to capture him and to bring him back to the prison. And one of the reasons she decides this is because his escape is what led to her father being removed as the warden of the prison. And so she has decided that in order to make up for this, she's going to capture him. So it kind of follows their two stories. Uh, eventually Pong makes it back to the city and finds his friend from the prison and joins a group of, um, I guess you could call them revolutionaries, um, if we're mirroring Les Miserables, uh, who are fighting against the governor. 
and uh, fighting to bring light equally to the entire city, not just to the rich parts of the city. It definitely, if you're familiar with the Lamez story, you can see the the mirrors in in the story and in the themes. But it was just the characters were really endearing, and and you really wanted them to win. They were the kind of characters and the kind of stories that you just wanted the good guys to win and the bad guys to lose, which really made me just want to keep reading it and and to find out uh, what happened. Uh, so that is a wish in the dark uh, by Christina Suntornvad. Great. And it's so Sadie because it's a retelling that, you know, and, and also a retelling of Les Miserables. So it's a totally Sadie pick. Yeah. And there were one actually thing that I found really cool, which um, I'd forgotten about until this exact moment, is that there were lines from the musical in the book. So if you knew the musical well, which I do, um, I noticed it because I was reading through the book and all of a sudden one of the songs popped into my head and I kind of backtracked. I'm like, that is a quote from the musical that was just kind of thrown in there. So See, I never read the, I never read all of listen to it. So I read the book and so mm-hmm. none of all those just mm-hmm. go whoosh, but it's still a good book. It's still Fair. a good book. It is. It is. <laughs> all right, Miss Corrine, what is your pick? Pick number five. Commit, commit. So I'm I'm committing. I committed. And it's kind of funny that you mentioned that five was the hardest for you to do because it was easy for me to pick my fifth, my fourth, and my first and my second. The third one, I had a really hard time picking. Like this book for me was like a number five book. And and there was, that did not change uh, when I had my, my little list here that's written on the back of a receipt as I was trying to choose, choose my five. So the book that I put in spot number five um, is When Stars Are Scattered by Victoria Jameson and Omar Mohammed. See, Sadie's doing a little dance, so I know I've done well. In, in a year that saw some pretty amazing kids graphic novels, and just to cheat, I'm going to name a couple of them. So uh, Class Act by Jerry Craft, Twins by Varian Johnson, um, Shirley and Jamila Save Their Summer, Deep and Dark Blue. Like there have been some amazing kids graphic novels that have come out this year that choosing one was really, really hard. And so when I was kind of going through my criteria of like, are these five books that I enjoyed? Are these five books that I think everyone should read? This one kind of nicely had, was a, a co-centric circle on that Venn diagram because this book kind of tackles um, subject material that hasn't really been examined in kids' comics before and has never been done with such kind of sensitivity and empathy and as well as involving a, a true story and, and the voice of the person who actually experienced it, which I think is really important for something like this. And especially in light of what is kind of happening to the Somali community in Edmonton, I think it's really important that these stories get, get shared um, because there is the kind of monolith understanding of what a refugee experience is. And I think that this book does a beautiful job of, of showing what the reality of it is. Um, I've talked about this book before. It is the true story of Omar and his younger brother, um, Hassan, who have spent the majority of their life in a refugee camp in Kenya. And what I think 
this book does very well. It shows the boredom of it, the monotony, the waiting. Omar's brother um, has a developmental disability and Omar is constantly waiting for medicine, waiting for food, waiting for help, waiting for his mother who was kind of lost on their journey out of Somalia into this camp. It also talks about how each refugee, each person there is a person with their own individual hopes, their own dreams, their own wishes for the future. It's not a monolith. It's not a single person. Each of them is an individual who is worthy of the future. Um, yeah, I think that this is a, a beautiful, and I hate to overuse the word important, but especially for children's literature, because this is such a unique, I do think it is a really, really important book an important graphic novel that I, I think everyone should read from child to adult. I think you will, you will learn something from it and the book will change you. It will change your point of view, which I think is something magical that books can do. And, and this book does it really well. So that was my, my number five pick. Nice. Nice. Kind of knew that would be on your list at some, at some point. It, it had to be. It's so, it's, it's too good. It's too good to be left off. It was really easy for me just to slot it in that five because it, I think it's for everyone. I think it's for everyone. Yeah. Yep. And I love how you just sneak those other titles in. Did you like that? I have more if you want them. Timo the Adventure oh by Jonathan God. Garner. Okay. <laughs> Don't want to start this because then this, this episode would be like 10 hours long. Feel like it might already be become one of those. All right, Fiona, what is your number five pick? So, um, my number five pick is the same as Kareem's number five pick. Yay! When stars are scattered. So I agree entirely with um, Kareem's sentiments, and I read a lot of children's. Um, material about refugees um, but the graphic novel just feels like the perfect form for it and like Kareem said having it be a true story um, with the author um, being the one who experienced it um, and then having the pictures really uh, the, the comics really helps you visualize an environment that's really really difficult to visualize. Um, and that's like, you know, I've read a lot of really great um, fictional and non-fictional picture books and some good um, uh, juvenile like chapter books, but you know, the picture books don't have the depth and the um, novels don't have the visuals. So it really did feel like such a good way to represent the story. And then of course, having the voice of Victoria Jameson, who, or the art of Victoria Jameson, who uh, did Roller Girl and All's Fair in middle school, um, just made it sort of like familiar and easy to come to. Um, like I knew it was going to be a good book because um, she just does great work. So yeah, I uh, agree with Kareen. Everybody should read it. Uh, there's a, there's a lot to learn um, there. Yeah, so it's worth picking up for all ages. All right. This book may show up again. Who knows, right? There's still so many, so many picks. We will show up on Lissa's number five pick. Let's find out. All right. So for my number five pick, I've got the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendricks. 
And yes, it is murdery. Yes, it is vampire-y. And yes, it is quite Southern. So all wonderful characteristics that make for a rollicking good time. Now, this is my first ever Grady Hendrix book. And I think this won't be my last. Um, he's got a way with portraying the lives of lovely Southern women uh, in a way that's fun and feisty. And what partic particularly uh, got me into reading this book, besides the whole vampire aspect, was that this is a group of ladies who, is, who are part of a book club. Now, at first, one of their members, who's a very prim and proper, uh, attempts to get the group to read the classics, the hardcore um, books that she thinks that everybody who is a true reader should read at least once in their lifetime. Well, very quickly that goes out the window as one of the other book club members decides to start her own book club. And uh, these Southern ladies now read books that are all about true crime and serial killers and all that kind of fun stuff. So this is a huge departure from their everyday lives, that of being, you know, good Southern women who stand by their men, take care of the children, do the cooking and cleaning all that uh, stereotypical uh, stuff that is expected of them. So of course, they're all having a great time in this book club. Um, some husbands think that it's a Bible study group, whatever, the ladies are having fun. And sure enough, weird things start to happen in town. Now, they're not really sure what's going on, but um, it seems that, oh, now there's finally a little bit of excitement besides in our book club. Well, sure enough, one of the ladies discovers that one of the neighbors is indeed a vampire. However, does anybody listen to her? Her fellow book club readers are questioning um, whether she's got this right. The husbands certainly are thinking that she is out to lunch and just being an unreasonable, irrational woman. Um, and the kids just don't know what the heck is going on. So Patricia, our protagonist, um, who has discovered this invader in their midst, has decided to take matters into her own hands and to protect the children of the community at whatever cost. So it was a tough choice, but I really did enjoy Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. That is my pick number five for 2020. I am so glad you picked Grady Hendrix. It didn't make, well, I shouldn't say that, but it didn't make my list, but I'm just so glad you picked it. It, uh, it did not disappoint. Grady Hendrix is the best. So good. Now, I'm I'm curious because that has been on like my radar for the last few weeks because um, I know uh, one of our other colleagues also uh, really enjoyed it, and it is listed as a horror and so I have been avoiding it but it it ticks off a lot of my boxes for for what I would enjoy. Do you think kind of knowing me a little bit that I might be able to read it? Uh, it is it is horror. There were some things that happened in there where even I kind of went. Ugh. Um, <laughs> that was a bit icky. Um, but if you are willing to give it a try, I feel like he kind of eases you into that and is really good uh, character development and plot buildup. Okay. 
Okay. So it's not for shock value. Everything, everything has a purpose. Okay. Okay. Might give it a try then. It's funny because I almost wouldn't call this a horror in my mind. It's really not about the vampire or anything like that. It's about something completely different. It's very much about the people and about how she was just completely dismissed as a mother. She, like, they were like, whatever, I don't need to listen to her. She's just, like, she must be imagining things and all that. Like, I feel there's, there's a lot more to it. So I- w- It's horror-y. It's got depth to it, that's yes, for sure. Yes, 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 Oh, I'm so, I'm so glad you picked that. <laughs> so we're talking about that, but excellent. All right. So that was our number five picks. And now on to pick number four. You know what's coming next. I have to talk about, I feel obligated now, talk about the book, about the subject that somehow became the theme of my year. Don't know why, but somehow it did. It is 2020. I guess that's sort of what happened. And yes, I am talking about a book about cannibalism. I can see all the shaking hats. I don't know. There's so many that I read this year. I don't know why. But the one I'm going to talk about is Mother for Dinner by Shalomo Slander. Since Corinne has given the idea of mentioning something else, the other book that I think was super amazing and the other cannibal book, which has actually made a lot of the best of lists at the end of the year, is Tender is the Flesh by an Argentinian author, Agustina Bastarica. That one is shocking. <laughs> if you can stomach, definitely not for the weak stomach, if you can stomach some pretty intense scenes, if you're looking for something shockingly good in terms of the writing about the meat industry, that one is amazing. It is so good. But anyway, I'm not here to talk about that one for another episode, maybe. I am here to talk about Mother for Dinner. I picked this book because this one, I feel, has the best publisher blurb of the year, hands down. When I read that blurb, I'm like, I need to get a hold of this book right now. It also completely delivers on the dark humor that I was expecting. And of course, you're expecting that, right? Book about a family who's coming together for one more time with their mother who is dying on her deathbed. And all the family, all the siblings are all surrounding her. And the matriarch of the family give them the final command, her death wish, eat me. I mean, how can it not be dark, right? And so when I read that, I'm like, okay, well, I, I need to read this book now. And it was super, I know, super funny. I know everybody's shaking their head, but it is so hilarious. Um, just all the things that you shouldn't laugh about is in this book. But I think if it is just those two things, it probably wouldn't make my list. But what make it, my number four pick was that this book turns out to be a really interesting exploration of what it is to be an immigrant. What is the immigrant experience like? It is a story about heritage, about tradition, about assimilation, about the whole American melting pot. It's about that struggle that every immigrant goes through, that I know I went through the struggle between keeping traditions, keeping your culture and trying to hang on to 
who you are before you move to a new country and trying to reconcile that with the new ideas, the new way of doing things, the new things that you are exposed to in a new place. And that tug of war as an immigrant, I feel like this book really, really described that so, so, so well. And I did not expect that out of a book about cannibals for sure. Um, So I think that's what sort of bumped this book up for me. And it's just such an interesting, and I I don't read a lot of immigrant experience story. I just am not always really interested in it. But I mean, because of the premise, I read this book. It is just so surprising. Um, So I think if you are willing to read about some very taboo subjects, give you a willing to read a book that has very, very dark humor, give you a willing to read a book that has a lot of things that talk about a lot of things that you are not really sure that you should be talking about. Give this book a try. It is Mother for Dinner by Shalom Oslander. It was a very good book. I agree. Right? It's, it was surprising. I just, I did not expect that. And um, yeah, so... Now I feel like I have to read more cannibal books. It's so weird that it was such a trend this year. <laughs> I don't understand. It was so weird. Like all the, even books that were not about that end up using that as a plot point. And I'm like, what, what has happening? But none of the cannibals were serial killers, which is what, you know, people think about, right? Like, you know, you think about the Hannibal and all that. None of those were like that. It's just a family who is trying to break away from tradition or hang on to it. I don't know. Anyway... That is my number four pick. So, Sadie, what is your number four pick? Does it have cannibals in it? No. I don't think so. I read it at the very beginning of the year, so I'm trying to uh, trying to think, but I don't think so. Um, so, as I said, yes, I read this book uh, right at the beginning of this year, and this is a book in a series, and I believe it is the fifth book of this series and is by one of my all-time favorite authors, um, who I've talked about many times on this show before, and it is Alone in the Wild by Kelly Armstrong. Uh, so this does stray a little bit from my usual reading genre. And uh, the reason that I have read it is because of the author. I um, have pretty much read everything that she has written. And so it does definitely fall more into the thriller and suspense uh, mystery genre than uh, anything else. And it takes place in the town of Rockton, which is way, way up north in um, north of Dawson's Creek. And it is not on any map. You would never find it on any map. And it is a tiny, tiny town with maybe 30 to 50 people who live there. And all of the people who live there are trying to run away from something. Um, they were in danger or they committed some sort of usually small crime and they have been brought to Rockton to escape. Um, And so these books and the series follow Casey Duncan and she is a former homicide detective and she was brought up to Rockton uh, as part of a deal to get her best friend uh, safety from her ex-husband, her very abusive ex-husband. And um, part of the deal of Diana being accepted into this town was that Casey would come and be their detective. 
And so uh, this is now the fifth book of the series. And um, in this book, it follows Casey and the sheriff, Eric Dalton, and they are out camping in the snow and they stumble upon a woman who has been murdered and clutched in this woman's arms is a live baby. And in Rockton, they don't have children. Uh, the youngest person was 18 years old. And so they bring this baby back to Rockton and they have to figure out who it belongs to, where uh, the parents are, was this woman who was murdered, the mother of this baby, who is um, the father who was taking care of this baby. And so it takes them on a journey to interact with um, the people that live in the forest, the the savages that they're called that live in the forest that have gone off. Usually they were Rockton residents and they have gone and left Rockton and have turned back a little bit. And this is why I, I'm not sure if there's cannibalism because they might, they might be cannibals. <laughs> um, I don't remember. <laughs> Um, and so they have to interact with them and they have to interact uh, with uh, other people who, who live in the forest trying to figure out exactly who this baby belongs to. Um, so very high intensity, very suspenseful and um, just a kind of a good next installment in the Rockton uh, mystery and thriller series. Um, I don't think that's on anyone's list because Kelly Armstrong is decidedly your Sadie's pick but it is mystery which is also kind of a Korean thing hmm. Hmm. and maybe one day maybe one day but it's definitely whenever I see a Kelly Armstrong book I'm like I'll just put that on a shelf for Sadie <laughs> all right Kareen so what do you have on your list do you have another do you have a mystery for us well it is a mysterious choice so I, I love mysteries I love true crime but one of my other kind of like favorite loves or go-to reads is realistic middle school fiction. Um, And again, there's been some really great stuff this year, but I'm not going to cheat and list them all. Uh, Needless to say, though, I had to kind of whittle down to one that, for me, packed the most into a very small package. And usually what I want out of middle grade fiction is to cry, and I definitely cried at this one. Um, this is the newest book by National Book Award winner Jacqueline Woodson, and it is her newest Before the Ever After. This is a book about Black sons, about Black fathers, about a family kind of struggling when, when an illness hits and everything changes. So it is about Zachariah Johnson Jr., who is who thinks that his dad is like a hero and everyone kind of thinks that their dad is a hero in a way, but um, Zachariah's dad is also a hero for millions of people um, because his father plays for the NFL. His father plays for a team. I I don't know what team. (laughs) Couldn't name an NFL team to save my life. He plays for a team. He plays the football. Um, He is good at the football. He has a number 44. That's where I'm going to go. And he has won, I was going to say Stanley Cups. Oh, this is really bad. (laughs) He wins Super Bowls. Thank you so much. I'm getting thumbs up from the audience. Oh, this is the most stressful keyboard fictional that we've ever recorded. His dad is really good at football. He's won 
Super Bowls. Um, everywhere he goes down the street, people give him a high five. They want his autograph. Everyone wants to come home to Zachariah's house and kind of like see if they can like sneak a peek of his dad and maybe throw the old pigskin around. There's another football term for you. And, and Zachariah and his dad have this really special relationship where his dad is really, really good at sports, but that's not who his son is. His son is a musician. He loves music. He loves to play around on his guitar. And so even though they kind of have different interests and different passions, they really connect and they have a really, really special relationship. But this has all kind of started to change when Zachariah is, is 12 and his father starts to forget things. His father starts to have really, really bad headaches he has strange mood swings where he can be really, really happy. And then all of a sudden he's really, really angry. And then there is a time that he forgets who Zachariah is. His mother suspects that it, it has something to do with the brain trauma that he has endured over his years of playing football. But of course, the NFL, the doctors who work for the NFL don't want to admit to anything. And they are trying to find a different answer than what it really is. And all the while this is happening, um, Zachariah is trying to understand where his dad has gone and, and who is this person that he is, he is now living with and what will, what will their relationship be like moving forward as, as his father gets a diagnosis. Um, it's a book about friendship, about Zachariah's friends and how they support him in different ways. It is about kind of him becoming an artist, about him and his father, him and his mother. And it's a really beautiful book. Um, Jacqueline Woodson writes in poetry, so it's a novel in verse. So you're getting the entire story, but in just these short little poems. And it's amazing how devastating a couple of lines of poetry can be. It's one that I've often thought about after reading it. Like it's one that you can sit down and, and read in a sitting, but it's, it's so powerful that it just packs so much into a small package. Um, and it's definitely a book for, for kids who, who like that realistic fiction and, and who want to, to read about the stories of other people. So it's, it's a beautifully put together book her big kind of breakthrough was Brown Girl Dreaming. And I think that this is, she just keeps hitting it out of the park year after year. I love her novels and verse. And, and this was, this was a standout for me. Um, I can not, I also can not a bit about football either. So it was always hard to like, when a book is about football, I'm just like, ah, oh, can't do it. Yeah. It, it's not about football. Thank goodness. <laughs> yes which is the important part. So it's okay if they don't mention any of those football things. So There's a quarterback, maybe? There you go. See, you could do it. <laughs> I only know that from romance novels. It's fine. Hey, we learn books teach us a lot of things, right? Exactly, exactly. All right, Fiona, do you have any sports in your next pick? I do have a sports one, but it's not my next pick, so you'll have to wait. <laughs> Uh, my next pick is actually a Virginia book, it is Quality Land by Mark U. Kling. This is translated from German, and it is the only adult novel on my list this year. I found it really difficult to concentrate on long, serious things. Um, so thankfully, this one had a lot of humor, uh, which is what 
helped me get through it. It was, it was very, very delightful. Um, and I know Virginia has talked about this one before. So it is the one where essentially uh, this country has changed their name to Quality Land. They are owned and operated by a company that is very Amazon-like. Uh, you think of something and before you know it, it's arrived on your doorstep. And uh, it's, it's quirky and hilarious. It follows Peter Jobless, and last names are given to you based on the occupation of your same-gendered parent, and they deeply affect your social status. So Peter can never really hope to have a high societal standing. He is actually a scrapper, a machine scrapper, so he's not jobless, but everything in their society is based on your ranking, who who you will get matched up with, where you, what restaurants you can eat at, and you're constantly being reassessed based on other people's ranking of you and other things that happen in your life. Um, so we start out with Peter, who's Girlfriend has just gotten a promotion and she swiftly dumps him because she is no longer in the same ranking as she is and it's not an appropriate match. Uh, so Peter's pretty, uh, like a pretty kind of like hopeless guy. Uh, I always like, I think of him um, automatically as Martin Freeman. If he was ever to be made into a movie, he would be Martin Freeman. But for me, what really, really got me into this book was when we are introduced to a ragtag bunch of dysfunctioning machines. So I hope it doesn't give away too much, but essentially Peter scraps machines when they malfunction and they are bound or they, they need to be scrapped. Like it's in their programming. If their owner tells them to go get scrapped, they go find Peter. Um, but Peter finds a loophole by basically saying, you will be scrapped, just not immediately. Come like hang out and live in my house and be part of my ragtag group robots. So I really, uh, I, that was the point that kind of grabbed me because Peter seems maybe like he's going to be a little bit more interesting. He's actually going against some of society's expectations. And then like this group of robots is just hilarious. And they end up going on a road trip and they meet sort of a femme fatale character. It's just delightful. It made me giggle a lot. And I just, it, it felt, when I came to the end, it just felt like a good nourishing read was what I really, really needed to just zone out for a bit and, and have some levity, I think. So highly recommended. And I actually have started reading um, Set My Heart to Five, Virginia, because I feel like it really seems to be like capturing that tone. So looking forward to a new era of fun sci-fis as ushered in by Virginia. <laughs> I am so glad you enjoy that book. I'm so glad. It's always hard, right? Like when you when you like a book and you like, you know, and other people are reading it and you're always like, are they gonna like it? Are they gonna think I'm crazy? You know, so like I'm so glad you love it. Well and I think I've discovered that like things that you recommend that are not too intense and are not um cannibals. Yeah. And then are not like high fantasy or high sci-fi are like good for me. Because as you pointed out, we we all need something just light and fun and funny for sure this year. So that definitely works. I'm glad you like it. All right, Liz, what have you got for number four? You say that with such trepidation, Virginia. Don't be nervous. (laughs) 
<laughs> so my number four pick for best of 2020 is called Where the Wild Ladies Are, and it's by Aoko Matsuda, and it was translated from Japanese by Polly Barton. So this is a collection of short stories, and they have all have some sort of inspiration or basis in Japanese traditional folklore or kabuki theater, folk tales, that kind of thing. So these are all firmly entrenched in Japanese culture, but Matsuda has taken her own spin on these stories and taken a character or a premise and made them into this wonderful collection. Now, one thing I really loved about these stories is that they are all kind of loosely tied together. So um, you may hear mention of an occurrence or a character that pops up in any of the other stories at any given time. Now, another thing that ties all of these stories together is that they concern the land of the living and the land of the dead. So throughout all of these stories, there is a spectral element, one might say. Um, apparently, not only do humans exist on this earth, but we coexist with people from the afterlife. And these people from the afterlife, a lot of them have jobs, jobs that they really like doing, and jobs that really fulfill them inside. This was a fantastic collection that had such a wonderful feminist slant to it. In some of the stories, some of my favorite stories out of this collection, the women led their lives trying to live up to society's expectations because that was the path of least resistance. And in the afterlife, they found their true calling. They are wonderfully, deliriously happy doing what they really want to do, having hairstyles that they really want to have, just living their best lives uh, and being their best, well, best lives, so to speak, um, and living or being undead uh, as their best selves. So if you are kind of curious about um, Japanese folklore, or maybe kind of seeing how the world of the undead and the living interplay with each other, we might want to check out where the wild ladies are. There are little snippets of the end of the book that do tell you a bit about the actual traditional folk tales and how they were the inspiration for the stories within this book. So highly recommend this one. This was one of my um, sort of last minute reads before the episode and I was glad I did. That sounds super interesting. When you say Land of the Dead, I was like, oh, ooh, ooh. have to read, must read. And then, then you say short stories. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> we'll try. try it. You might like it. We'll try. <laughs> All right. I think it is time before we move on to pick number three for our existential crisis question. I mean, it's the end of the year, obviously, we'll have to have one of those. And this year, since it's the end of the year, it's a time when we all reflect on what happened in the year or try to forget what happened in the year, I guess. So I would like to know from everybody, um, did 2020 change you in terms of your reading habits? Because of what's going on out there, did it create some new habits for you? Or did you discover something different about yourself as a reader? Or like, did you end up meeting your goals for the year as a reader? This year has been brutal. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, I might as well be honest. Like this destroyed all of my reading habits. And it actually took me a really, really, really long time to actually finish a book. Like 
there were weeks and in fact, almost months when I didn't read, which is, um, totally unheard of for me. I, I usually read a book a day, book every two days. And I just couldn't, couldn't kind of settle down and, and read. So I think this year was really hard. Like I didn't read any or meet any of my kind of targets of what I wanted to read. Um, how many books I usually like aim for. I absolutely did not get there. So this was a really tough, tough year, but some of the books that I read that kind of were able to pull me a little bit out of that, I found that there are stories that are probably going to stick with me for a really long time. And I guess the one different thing that I tried this year was I actually read books that were recommended by other people, <laughs> which I never do, which I absolutely never do. And I actually pretty much picked up one recommended by everyone here and really enjoyed them. Um, so it was a very nice experience to just kind of let someone recommend something to me. So I have, I have done one from every one of you, and then I am reading one that was recommended by someone in our books and suitcases book club. So that that's what I've tried out this year. Nice. Nice. I, I don't, I'm sure you're not the only one who have like months gone months without reading. Like, I think I was in the same boat. Like just, I just couldn't just couldn't do it. And it's so weird. But I think for me, definitely the, the book chat, knowing that there's a book chat that I'm accountable for <laughs> really got me out of it. I'm forcing myself to read a new book for each of the topics just so that I can get myself to it. And deadlines always work. Having a deadline is, is a good thing. So that definitely got me out of it. I try, I think, like doing like novellas and that didn't help. I was like, oh, maybe a novella, short book. Then, you know, then I'll make, make me feel like I've accomplished something. No, it didn't work. Um, I just can't quite get into those. So, yeah. So I, you know, totally, totally like see what you're saying. Um, anyone else that has maybe tricks that they can get themselves out of a reading slump too? I feel like my reading slump was a, almost like the opposite of most people's this year. Like I, I think a lot of people in the beginning were having trouble focusing when the pandemic hit um, and then, you know, maybe got back into that. Whereas I found that I was relying on books a lot when the pandemic first hit and then I've just sort of like hit a slump since maybe October where I'm just having trouble finishing things. And But like, I'm usually pretty uh, specific about what I read or like what I finish. And I found that this year I relied on books a lot more in that like I, I just read for something to do. Like, so, so I kind of like, I would say that I maybe read more than I usually do, but then I'm looking back at my like things that I've read and there was a lot of things that I was sort of like meh on because in the past I maybe wouldn't have picked them up or I maybe just wouldn't have finished them whereas this year was like you gotta pass the time somehow <laughs> and like books that maybe um in the moment were like very comforting to me sort of then haven't thought about it as much I guess because there's there's a lot of other things to think about uh, <laughs> and I'm also like looking back and just it's it's very varied like I've still read a lot of graphic novels like I usually do but even the graphic novels are more varied like I'm doing a lot of sort of like nonfiction hybrid things or like longer juvenile nonfiction that I that I really enjoyed um, and like I said not so much adult novels because I found it pretty hard to get through anything longer than 200 pages or that didn't have pictures <laughs> or that wasn't an audiobook. So. I started listening to audiobooks this year 
which is uh, not something I ever did. And I, and I attribute that to um, purchasing a car and driving uh, places, which I was not doing previously. And it, um, if I'm on the SkyTrain or if I'm on a bus, I can very easily zone out if I'm listening to something. And so that's why I struggled to listen to audiobooks or podcasts or anything audio-based. Um, if I'm physically holding a book in my hand, then I can focus on it. But if I am just listening to something, then I zone out. But I found that driving requires just enough focus to help me not zone out because <laughs> that would be dangerous. Um, so I, my focus is uh, is able to to be able to listen to audiobooks. Uh, so I did definitely that's a new habit for me is listening uh, to audiobooks. Me and Tyler are currently co-listening to an audiobook as well, um, which I'm finding is taking way longer than I would like it to to listen to the audiobook because I have to wait for him to be home and available to listen to it. Um, so I don't know if this is something that we will continue because it has been frustrating me, but, um, <laughs> but it, it is a new experience. Um, I definitely, I think experienced something similar in the very beginning. I, I think we all brought home a lot of books with us. Um, I did not get through a lot of books that I brought home, but I have since, taken them out again and then gotten through them. Um, so I definitely struggled a little bit in the beginning just to want to focus on anything other than just completely zoning out and mindlessly scrolling through my phone or watching TV that I've watched a hundred times before. Um, but kind of mid, I'd say mid-May, mid-May it picked up for me um, and I was able to, to get into more of a rhythm. Um, I think that our challenges helped. So our um, spaceopoly definitely helped because you were kind of similar to the deadline. You, you had that, you wanted to keep rolling. Um, and then the, the readathon um, really helped as well. Um, yeah, so I, I've been able to pick it, pick it back up in the second half of this year. Yeah, like the others, once I got over the doom scrolling, um, and stop checking obsessively for updates um, about the pandemic every hour. Um, <laughs> then I found I was able to focus more on reading and that really um, was sort of like my life raft this year, just, just reading everything and anything that I could. Um, that being said, I, I, feel like, I feel like because of all the reflection that we've, we've all done and all this time that we've had to ourselves, I feel like my reading is more um, is more diverse, and I, I'd always thought that I was a, a diverse reader and open to reading just about anything. Um, but I feel like with doing, um, you know, like Sadie said, doing our spaceopoly, uh, looking at the different categories, doing our book chats, um, taking a closer look at um, maybe reading outside of our comfort zone or what we usually go to or maybe kind of looking at what diversity really means, like really and truly, like not just the content of a book, but also um, the writer of that book. Um, I feel like I've kind of kicked it up a notch. I've, I've really tried to anyways. And um, I really feel like, you know, that was a big positive for, for this year. So I feel like we're ending 2020 on a good note, good foot for the next year. Well said, well said. Yeah, 2021 is going to be good. 
But the book year is good. 2020, the book year is good. That's why we have so many great books that came out. So let's go to pick number three. My number three pick is a book that I talked about um, in the most anticipated four releases episode. And it is The Bong Shard Daughter by Andrea Stewart. This was a book that I heard a lot about and I was really, really looking forward to it. And when I read it, it exceeded, way exceeded my expectations of what this book is. And I would say probably it was my favorite fantasy debut series. Perfect book one of a new series. And I loved this book a lot. Um, I've talked about it, so I'm not going to do too much of the plot. This, you know, we got a, um, a daughter who is desperate for her father's approval. Her father is the emperor, you know, and, and he controls everything using this weird secret magic of bone shards. And she really wants to know what that secret is, but her father refused to tell her until she can remember her past because there seems to be an a memory gap in in her years and she can't remember what happened before she was five years old. And her father is not going to trust her with the secret until she remembers it. So she's desperate trying to figure out how to retrieve her memory. And then we have Jovis who got stuck in the rebellion somehow um, against the emperor. They are trying to smuggle kids before they have to go through this procedure to donate the bone shot to the emperor. And he is sort of caught, caught up in that um, when all he wants is just to find his missing wife. And the rebels are saying that, oh, well, we have news about your wife. Give you help us and all of that. So he's sort of stuck in that. What I love about this series is that it's what um, how a series with multiple storylines, multiple points of view should be done. Very often when you read a fantasy series that has that, there's that characters that you just or stories that you just don't really care about. And you're just like, okay, well, can you get back to the character that I care about? And you're just like, oh, at least I do. I, I skim through the chapters when it's somebody who's not as interesting. But I find in this one, like all the characters, I really want to know what happened to them. Um, I, I love all of them. They're also unique, also different. And all the storylines, the way how they intersect was really super interesting. And then I think the pacing of the book was just perfect. The gradual reviews of the secrets of what's actually happening in the empire, happening with these bone shots and everything was so, so good and so well-placed throughout the book that just keeps you going. And that ending, like, how dare you put that ending in there? And now I'm like, but I'm just like, I'm, what's going to happen now? Um, it was just everything about it was just perfect as a first book fantasy series. I can't wait to get back to this world. Um, so if you're interested in a fantasy series that is set in a non-Western world, this is Asian-inspired, please do check out The Bone Shard Daughter by Andrea Stewart. And it has also got, I think, one of the best cover out there. It's probably one of my favorite for this year. So please do check that out. All right. My number three pick. A fantasy pick, a regular pick for me, I think. Um, so Sadie, what is on your list next? Uh, speaking about recommendations, this is the final book of a series that was actually recommended by Kareem. And it is a YA mystery series. The first one in the series is called Truly Devious by Maureen Johnson. And this is the third and final book in this sort of storyline. Um, and it is called The Hand on the Wall. 
I loved the series as a whole series. I think the second book was probably my favorite of the series, uh, but I really enjoyed uh, the wrap up to it. Um, so I won't tell you too much about the actual third book, just because if you haven't read uh, the first two, I don't want to give anything away. Um, but the premise is uh, it follows Stevie, a teenager who has been accepted into the prestigious Ellingham Academy, which is a boarding school that the people who are accepted there, every one of them has some sort of extreme talent. So they're really great artists, they're really great actors, they're really great musicians. And Stevie is shocked that she has been accepted uh, based on her knowledge of the Ellingham case. And the Ellingham case uh, follows the founder of the Ellingham School, Albert Ellingham, and it takes place in 1936 when his daughter and his wife disappear. And the only evidence that they have is a letter written in riddle and taken from newspaper clipping. So each word is a, or each letter is a different cutout from a newspaper. And it's never been solved. Nobody knows uh, uh, what happened. Nobody knows who took them. And nobody really knows the, what, what the outcome of this case was. And so CB gets accepted into this school based on her knowledge of this case and the fact that she is going to solve it. And so now uh, we're in the third book of the series and a lot of things have happened. Some murder, some not murder. She has learned more about the case. She has discovered things about the case. And uh, the third book is, is a wrap up of exactly what happened back in 1936, what the outcome of the original case was, as well as what the outcome of more modern and more current cases and crimes uh, that have been happening at the Ellingham Academy. Uh, so if you're looking for something uh, mystery, there was one point in the first book that really freaked me out um, because I was reading it at night and uh, there was lots of suspense. And <laughs> But otherwise, it's not really that uh, that creepy. So if you're, if you're looking for a good mystery with characters that that you might not always find in other mysteries, um, characters who are part of the LGBTQ community, characters who deal with uh, anxiety on a daily basis. That representation um, is very strong um, in the book. So I would recommend The Hand on the Wall and the Truly Devious series uh, by Maureen Johnson. Two mysteries, Sadie. Ooh, I know. What's happening? What's I know. Happening? I, I feel like, yeah, my, uh, my, my ways have been changed, I think. <laughs> Is this year? Is this twenty twenty? <laughs> and my and my festive pick from a couple weeks ago, also mystery. The world is upside mm -hmm. down. It is. Yes, it sure it is. is. <laughs> so, what have you got for us, Corinne? Is it an upside down pick? Well, a little bit. Um, this was actually the the number in my ranking that I struggled with the most. And I went back and forth and back and forth. And I finally chose this one because it's the one that made me think the most. And after I finished it, I wanted to talk to people about it. I wanted to discuss it. I wanted to dissect it. It is on a subject that I will admit I'm not interested in at all. Maybe even less than football. It's about cooking. I don't care about cooking. <laughs> I don't. I could eat frozen pizzas all day long and, and not be upset about it. So for me to read a memoir of a chef is kind of a big deal. So my third 
book is uh, David Chang's memoir, Eat a Peach. So David Chang is a massively successful chef. He's a cookbook writer. He's the founder of Momofuku. It has 15 locations worldwide. He has Netflix series. He has a podcast. He's one of the 21st century's most influential people. He's also really complex. And what makes this memoir work, this that he has written with uh, Gabe Ula, is that no one is more over David Chang than David Chang. He has no time for himself. He has no time for the industry. And no one is more critical of him than him. He really is brutally honest in this book about his struggles, his upbringing as a Korean-American, the kind of struggles that he faced in the kitchen with the racism, with the classism, his struggles to become a businessman when, quite frankly, having read the book, I don't think he's very good at business, which is pretty wild his struggles with self-esteem, his struggles with mental illness that he's had over his entire life. It talks really frankly about depression and his struggle with, with um, contemplating suicide. Like it's, it's very, very honest. And he talks a lot about the mistakes that he made, the mistakes that he made, the success that he has, that he doesn't feel that he deserves. And it's, it's a really amazing amazingly honest memoir. I don't think I've read anything that just kind of put it all out there. The ugliness, the success, the the struggle, the real struggle as much as he had. And it is funny. It's really, really funny. I think it would actually be an audiobook. I believe he actually narrates the audiobook. Yeah, it's funny because there's an anecdote in the story that kind of like distills it in at at a certain point he's kind of overseeing all these businesses and he hires an outside um, consultant to kind of see you know how can we make efficiencies in the business how can I be a better leader and the person comes back to him and kind of looks him in the eye and is like you really shouldn't be as successful as you are considering how many people who work for you hate you he, yeah, he, he's, a, he's a tough figure. He's someone that you definitely, absolutely would want to sit down and just like talk. Like he'd have the best stories. He's so funny. He's so witty. He's kind of seen it all. But I, you would probably not want to work for him. He, again, is very, very honest about his blind spots, about his, his problem with anger management. But he also speaks passionately and interestingly about food the entire time. Like, Yeah, it it is a book with a lot of layers. It is a book that kind of typifies what a memoir, and especially like if we're thinking about like a celebrity memoir, which are kind of like either super self-serving or trying to be funny. This is a person just being a person. And to be that brave on the page is a fascinating read. Um, I definitely think everyone can find something in that book that they will enjoy. Um, and I definitely might actually reread it via audiobook just to hear him read all of his very snarky footnotes about himself. Liz, did you end up reading that book? Because I know that was on your at most anticipated. Not yet. I still have 24 hours-ish to go. Sounds good. Fiona, what is your number four pick? 
Okay, this is my sports pick. It is Dragon Hoops by Gene Luen Yang. Um, and he had a great year because he also put out Superman Smashes the Clan, which was very fun in its um, hearkening back to old Superman, but also being super um, uh, modern, modern and conscious in representation. But anyway, back to this one. Um, so I like sports. Um, <laughs> and in particular, basketball. Um, I played basketball uh, up until high school or up into high school. And so in terms of sports, it's the one that I feel kind of the most connected to. So this, and this is a graphic novel, which is very me, from a creator that I have followed a, a little bit. He has done American Born Chinese, which was very critically acclaimed, but also, oh, what's the duology? Perrine's got it. Boxers and Saints. Yes, Boxers and Saints, which was, just kind of blew my mind in terms of the way he uses graphic novels. It's, it's, it's not so out of the box that it's like confusing, um, but he really makes them his own and sort of does his own narrative things. So in this book, it is the story of him following a high school basketball team. And he basically joins on to the team to be their storyteller, essentially, to make a comic about them. And while this is happening, he's struggling with what he's going to do next. Where's his career going to go? Um, how is it, his life going to fit together? Because he's uh, a teacher and he's a graphic novelist. Um, and at this time, he's still teaching um, at the school with the basketball team. When I heard that premise, I was like, oh, strange. Like, high school basketball doesn't sound that interesting. I had no idea American high school basketball was like high school football in the States where they like um, you get scholarships to private schools to play basketball and then you go on to play the NBA and like you, yeah, you get drafted and all this stuff like it's crazy competitive and so much money gets put into it. Um, so that was a really interesting element. It was interesting to see Jean Luen Yang like literally working through his career and what to do next. And then he um, has all of these historical snippets and little bios about the players, the high school players um, who are in high school. So you're like, how interesting can they be? But they have these really interesting lives um, and have have um, often struggled a lot to get where they are to get this break to play high school basketball. So for me, the the historical parts were the most interesting. And here's our Canadian connection. The creator of basketball was Canadian, I believe, uh, because we've all seen that great heritage moment. I need these baskets back. Um, and so I didn't actually know that that takes place in the US. And I learned that through this, this graphic novel, but he was a Canadian. And so there's a lot about the history of basketball, but in particular, the author makes a point to look at women's basketball. And it was, and he also um, looks at race in sports and these sort of double standards of, you know, black people initially being told that they couldn't play sports because they weren't predisposed to, to do it. They were dumb or, and then then to come to this modern idea that is often used that, oh, 
you know, black people are predisposed to be good at sports. And he looks at racism throughout basketball's history and then the racism that a lot of the uh, team players face on the court. So it was very multifaceted. It's a big chunk and graphic novel to, to fit all of that in there. And it kind of just captivated me throughout the whole thing. Uh, so definitely, if a couple of those elements grab you, you know, whether it's basketball um, and and graphic novels, this, uh, yeah, this is definitely something that I would recommend, uh, along with his other stuff. <laughs> Thank you, Fiona. That was a great pick. So there are sports, people who know sports here. We don't just know books. <laughs> All right, Liz, your pick number three. Okay, so for pick number three, I have another book in translation. Surprise, surprise. Now this one's called Kim Jiang, born 1982 by Cho Namju, and it was translated from Korean by Jamie Chang. So this was a runaway bestseller when it was first published in Korea. And uh, I believe Fiona talked about this book in a previous episode, but to bring everybody up to speed, this book is told from a psychologist's perspective and they're the physician of Kim Ji-young. And so uh, she's come to him seeking help and he essentially recounts her entire life story from her birth up until her present day up here in the 21st century. So Kim ji has led a rather uneventful life, one would think, a rather common life for women in Korea by all accounts. So she's born as a dutiful daughter. She does her very best through school. She ends up uh, going into the workforce and doing her duty, making the tea, but you know, never progressing too far because of that glass ceiling. Um, marrying a man, being a dutiful wife, raising a child, being a dutiful mother. All along this way though, there are things going on inside Kim Ji-young. Um, things where, you know, she's not really satisfied with life, even though by all accounts, she is a model citizen. Uh, she is a model woman within Korean society. Um, I really, I really enjoyed this book and it uh, remained uh, one of my top books of the year because I felt like even though we are miles away from Korea, I felt like, you know, as a woman of a similar age to Kim Ji-young, um, there are parallels that we can see between how she has come up in her own society, the issues that women in North American society face today. It's just very subtle just by telling her story and seeing how people react to her or uh, the advice that they give to her as a woman, whether they are a woman or a man. It's very telling how society portrays or perceives women. And so I thought uh, in its own subtle way, Kim Ji Young, born 1982, was kind of a scathing feminist look at um, how there are these ceilings everywhere for females, regardless of their age. And it's something that we deal with uh, on a constant basis. All right, so we are down to our last 10 picks. Two more from each person. What could they be? Let's find out. So my second pick 
is a book that I have talked about in one of our episodes in the summer um, when we talk about LGBTQ plus authors. And it is the sweetest, most heartwarming book that you'll ever read in your life. It is totally not a book I expected to love so much, but I love this book to pieces. It's a book that I would say I gush about and rave about the most frequently. And it is, of course, The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. This book has the best Fang family I read this year, and usually my Fang families are in space, so this is a little different. A book about Linus, a caseworker who is sent by his company to investigate, to take a look at this orphanage, to make sure the kids that live there are well taken care of because they're not quite sure about the caretaker, Arthur. However, these are not just regular kids. These kids all have magical powers. And what is waiting for Linus in the house in the Cerulean Sea is something he has never expected. Linus, as TJ Klune himself described him as a portly, fuzzy, also queer kind of guy. And it's not your usual protagonist that you might expect, but he is his transformation from a fairy like Rubang, traditional person to this person that he became and his attachment with all the kids and his relationship with Arthur are just the sweetest thing. Everybody needs to read this book. It makes me laugh. It makes me cry. As I said before, when I cry when nothing is happening, like I know I really, really care for the characters because I love them so much. I don't want anything to happen to them. So even when it's like nothing bad is happening, I still cry because this is that kind of book. And I feel like when I was reading, I'm like, TJ Klim must be like the nicest person in the world because I don't think you can not be a kind person, you know, to be able to write a book like this. So I'm really excited about reading his other books. You know, I read his teen book, which also came out last year and it was great. And um, his new book is supposed to come out in the beginning of next year, but it is not going to until September because everything got delayed. So now I don't know what to do with myself. And I was saying to Sadie, I might have to go back to his backlist, which are mostly independently published. And most of them are paranormal romance. So I don't know what to do, but just because I love him so much and I need to read something by him, I might have to go do some paranormal romance here so anyway so I this is my second pick it is again just so 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 sweet so so heartwarming and gut-wrenching it is The House in the Surreal Sea by TJ Klune I'm glad you picked that one is it because you think someone else has also picked that one is that why perhaps I'm hoping (laughs) not to kind of show my cards a little early but yes I am hoping (laughs) I need something to fill that big giant housing the surveillance hole right now. So Sadie, what is your pick number two? My number two pick, I'm going to put Corrine out of her misery and also pick The House in the Cerulean Sea (laughs) by T.J. Klune. This also works to my benefit because I also put this one down as a possible duplicate, hoping, Virginia, that you would uh, would also select this one. Uh, So I read this book on Virginia's 
recommendation after um, our summer episode where she talked about this one and it, it did not disappoint. Um, pretty much everything that Virginia just said was exactly how I felt as well. I think I might read slightly more heartwarming books generally than uh, Virginia does, but honestly, I don't tend to read the warm and fuzzy kind of books either, or at least I don't seek them out. And so to have something where you, you just kind of feel so wonderful at the end of it and you feel just so warm and so happy and you just love the characters so much. They're like, they just all have such amazing, endearing unique, wonderful qualities to them. And even the ones that, that are a little bit, uh, that, that try their best to be a little bit scary and not warm and fuzzy are, are just wonderful. Um, so I won't go into too much detail because Renia just explained uh, the, the plot of it, but yes, I would definitely recommend House in the Cerulean Sea. It, uh, yeah, it made me laugh. It made me cry. Same as Virginia. It just a wonderful, wonderful book. And it will make you happy. We'll make you happy. I want to make sure that I get my score out there now and say that that was also one that I noted as expecting for um, a crossover. And, and then I had when the stars are scattered. So I've got one more that I'm, that I'm waiting for a crossover. I am also, I'm also two for two so far. I don't know if I'm going to get my third one though. It's, it's on, it's on you, Corrine. I'm worried. It's on you. I'm really worried. <laughs> Oh, I do. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. know. For me, the wild card is Virginia. And I'm kind of hoping she pulls through for me on this one. (laughs) Because Sadie, Sadie, you knocked it out of the park. Good job. Yeah. I figured I'd make you wait just a little bit for it. I I figured that was the one that you, you wondered about for me. So yeah. 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 I was so stressed. (laughs) All right, Corrine. What have you got for us as your number two pick? Yeah. So for my number two pick, um, it's funny that like Virginia, you're usually a more a horror reader, like a, a darker themes person. And you chose something that was a little bit cozy because I would say I am more of a cozy reader. And my top two picks are a little bit darker um, than I would usually read, I would say. So my number two pick was one that I read. It was actually the first book that I finished during quarantine. So I was really struggling. I was picking things up and putting them down and reading a chapter and then I couldn't get through the rest of the book. And this was the one that kind of caught me enough that I finished the entire thing and I really loved it. And in fact, I might go back and reread it. I know, sacrilege, um, to kind of catch all the little clues and things that I didn't get the first time. So my book for the number two spot is Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno Garcia. This is a delicious gothic horror story from a very, very talented writer who has been highlighted on this program before. This is kind of her take on the the very traditional story of young, beautiful girl gets trapped into a creepy old house with a creepy family and then stuff goes down, but with such an interesting horror twist. It is about our main character, Noemi, who gets a 
frantic letter from her cousin who has just been married to an Englishman. Noemi and her family are kind of like upper class, rich Mexican family. And her cousin has married into this English family who kind of live in a mansion called the High Place, far, far, far in the countryside, away from everything else, away from the parties that Noemi likes, away from glamour and fashion and all wonderful things. And in order to get her father to finance her uh, anthropology degree, she agrees to go to the high place to see what is happening to her cousin and whether there is cause for alarm. This is just a rapid fire read. I loved it so much. It has so much to say, so many layers, so creepy. I cannot wait to go back and read all of um, Silvia Moreno-Garcia's books before. So that is my number two pick and definitely a reread. It's so weird, right? Like, I feel like going at the list, I'm just like, this. these are not books that I normally would pick on my list. But what happened? What happened? It is trendy, trendy. So, but yes, everybody should go read Sylvia. She has so many different genres too, right? This is like kind of a horror. She does mystery. She does like, you know, vampire. She, she does it all. She does it all. She does. So good. All right, Fiona. Yeah, <clears throat> I actually, um, Mexican Gothic just came out uh, or just came out on my card as an audiobook. So I'm looking forward to that and I'll let you know how the audiobook is. All right, my number two pick uh, is one I haven't had a chance to talk about yet because I read it recently. It is The Black Flamingo by Dean Atta. And this is a British book. And so I think that it actually may have been published in the UK in 2019, but here it came out in 2020. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> the like Canadian edition or North American edition. In many ways, it is sort of uh, a classic type of read for me. Um, it's an LGBTQ story, it's YA, it's real life, but it's actually written in verse. And it's the uh, first book in verse I think that I have read. And I was really surprised how much I enjoyed it. It's so nice when you want something with depth, but you're also just feeling exhausted and not like able to, to read something heavy. Um, so it just, you know, it flies through and then it also sort of, you know, just gives a, that poetic aspect to it. So I really, really enjoyed it. It is about Michael, who is a mixed-raced kid, and you actually see him grow up into his university years. And it is really a coming-out story, um, but it didn't feel at all uh, generic in the way that sometimes coming-out stories are. Um, it's a story that we tell a lot in terms of what's available for LGBTQ literature, but it definitely added a lot to that genre, I think. He struggles a lot uh, with his identity, um, being mixed race, uh, having an absentee father, but he's still connected to his uh, father's Caribbean extended family. And he has uh, a white mother. And so there's a lot of just um, talking about what it's like to, to have a mom who doesn't necessarily understand what it's like to be mixed race. And, uh, but that he loves really dearly and they have this beautiful close uh, connection. And something else that I really appreciated is that we see him kind of grow up and uh, make friends, struggle through high school, deal with coming out, uh, and then see this, the separation he goes through when he goes to university and sort of, you know, that like suddenly being disconnected from your 
network uh, from the people that you usually rely on. Um, and he actually finds community in drag, which is awesome. I love um, stories about uh, drag. And something I found uh, was really great about this one was it, it talked a lot about the sort of like politics of drag that, you know, there's, it's about exploring gender and that's not always just a man who dresses up as a woman to explore that part of himself. Uh, in this case, Michael creates this persona, the black flamingo. Um, and some people are uncomfortable with it because they're like, well, you know, is the black flamingo a woman? Are you dressing as a woman? And it's like, no, this is just, this is me when I embrace that authenticity of me and put it out there. And I really, really appreciated that sort of that nuanced perspective of, about gender and gender expression. Uh, it was just, it, although it was a difficult read in some ways, it was just really affirming and, and beautiful. Yeah, definitely recommend if you um, already enjoy uh, YA LGBTQ stories. This is definitely a good one to add to your to read list. Thank you, Fiona. Also, sound like because, like you said, a novel in verse, and I think Corinne, you have one too. It it's probably a good one for you know times like this too, when you just want to read something that it's not that is not so dense but also has substance, like you said, Fiona. So sounds like a great one. Mm-hmm. It's like such an accomplishment. And you're like, oh, I read like 100 pages so quickly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's probably why when Liz and I were talking about reading ebooks, that's part of it. Like I make my prints really big so that I can be like, look, I'm flipping a page, you know, like I'm onto the next page. It just makes you feel like you're doing something and, and progress. Yeah, I do the opposite. I make my print really small so that like the total page count goes down. <laughs> See, all the tricks, all the tricks you can trick ourselves into thinking we are <laughs> we are reading faster than we are. All right, Liz, what is your number two pick? Well, for my number two pick for my best books of 2020, it's kind of surprised me because it's sort of a book that's kind of outside of my genre of go-tos, um, but trying to just read different books and read from different perspectives, um, this one was kind of a surprise. Now, my number two pick is The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. So this was a fairly recent read for me um, that was featured on our previous episode on amateur PIs and sleuths. Quick recap of the summary. So we've got this lovely community in a retirement village um, in the UK. And this is the height of luxury. We're talking um, personal chef in the, in the restaurant, Pilates, lovely manicured grounds with lawn bowling, all that good stuff. Now, this is not your average retirement community, however. This is a community comprised of individuals who have a keen interest in crime, or at least four of them do. Now, they're headed up by Elizabeth, who we suspect in her previous life uh, prior to the retirement community was a spy, although that is in true spy fashion, not explicitly disclosed. So her and her ragtag gang called the Thursday Murder Club meet on Thursdays to discuss cold cases or cases that have previously gone unsolved. 
Now, this is just a hobby for them. But then one day, there's a murder of somebody that they know. He's the handyman for the community, which used to be a nunnery, complete with chapel and graveyard. Now, not long after that, uh, after learning that the developer of the community is looking to expand the property, um, which means digging up the graveyard of nuns, the developer himself drops dead right in front of them as they are barricading said graveyard to keep it from being dug up. So this was an absolutely delightful book, tinged with an undertone of sadness. It really highlighted that senior citizens, they're individuals with highly interesting lives. They have their secrets, they have their stories, and they still have their interests and a lot of life to give. Um, so it was an absolute delight reading this heartwarming story of four individuals who are pursuing their passion together, but also mixed in with a healthy dose of murder, which I do quite enjoy. So number two pick, highly recommended Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. Great pick, Liz. Thank you, Corrine. I know you enjoyed this one as well. It's so well written. Like every chapter is a delight. Yes, a, a snappy, snappy delight. All right. So just to keep everybody in suspense for just a little bit longer, before we get to our top, top, top pick of 2020, because this is an episode that we celebrate all the great things that happened this year in books, I want to just give a quick shout out to all the books that we also really, really love and really, really want to put on the list. And so everybody, I'm going to give you one minute and each person will have one minute to just talk about all the books that they want to mention and whatever you want to say about it. All right. I see that Corinne is ready. So Corinne. Hey, it's, does my clock starts now? Okay. Books that I really loved. Um, Prairie Lotus by Linda Sue Park. I think it's up for a Newberry. I think it was amazing. Uh, definitely a contender for the Newberry. Pick it up for any middle school reader. Um, on the nonfiction side of things, Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving by Celeste Headley. Amazing book of a critique of like the hustle culture and always be doing something. So revelatory about the history of work. Amazing. On the true crime side, Unspeakable Acts, True Tales of Crime, Murder, Deceit, and Obsession, edited by Sarah Weinman. Uh, amazing. It's all the best crime writing from last year. You will read all the stories. Not all of them are about murder and very grisly. Some of them are really poignant about community, about surviving, and about how to make sure not to date a man who steals all your credit cards. Um, the Aggie Morton series that just came out, which is a middle grade mystery series about a young Agatha Christie by Martha Dresslin adorable. Stamped by Jason Reynolds is important. I think it should be in every classroom. I think everyone should read it. And The Thursday Murder Club, which I also thought was just like a master class in writing a cozy mystery with something to say. Nicely done. I had a list. I had a list. <laughs> oh, all right, Fiona, what are other books that you want to give a shout out to? Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to need a starter too. Ready? Go. Okay. History Smashers, uh, Women's Right to Vote. Uh, it's a nonfiction, so I just didn't want to, it's nonfiction. It's amazing. Pick it up. All right. Mary and the Trail of Tears um, sort of uh, is a part of a new series, um, sort of in the vein of I Survived. Um, I'm really excited to read the rest of those because that was fantastic. Um, Mason Moody 
Uh, Paranormal Investigator is a new um, graphic novel series that I'm really excited about. Um, Flamer is a graphic novel by Mike Curato. Um, very difficult to read, but I think it's really important. And I had one more I wanted to give a shout out to. I'm not as organized. Oh, Snapdragon was well, a really lovely graphic novel um, that I think a lot of us enjoyed. Nice, nice. All right, Sadie, are you ready for your minute of shout out? Okay, I think I am ready. Um, okay, Ray Bearer by Jordan Ifueko, a Nigerian-American author, new YA fantasy, very kind of unique fantasy story, which I really, really enjoyed. Just started and I'm currently enjoying um, The Left-Handed Booksellers of London. I have not finished it yet. So that's the new one by Garth Nix, uh, who wrote the Sabriel series. The Rachel Bloom autobiography is absolutely hilarious unbelievably inappropriate, um, but also very, very real. Uh, she goes quite far in depth into her own um, dealings with depression and obsessive compulsive disorder um, in a very, very real way. And that is called, I want to be where the normal people are. Uh, we're listening to it in audiobook format. There's a musical chapter. It's amazing. Um, Murder at the Mayfair Hotel, I talked about a couple of weeks ago, just a really lighthearted, fun, um, festive murder mystery uh, that takes place in uh, Victorian London. Uh, the Hollow Pox, Hunt for Morgan Crow, the third book in the Morgan Crow uh, middle grade uh, fantasy series, and um, also stamped uh, racism, anti-racism, and you, uh, similar to Korean, I think that it, it should be in all classrooms. I think that, um, young young adults, kids, and adults uh, should read it alike. And that is originally by Ibram X. Kendi and adapted um, for junior fiction or junior nonfiction by Jason Reynolds. Great list, great list. All right. All right, Liz, what is on your list? Okay, um, not as lengthy as everybody else's list, but um, honorable mentions nonetheless. So my first pick is uh, Displacement by Kiku Hughes. So this is a graphic novel uh, and it chronicles a uh, teen sort of uh, time travel journey into seeing what life in the Japanese internment camps was like in America. Um, another book I'd like to highlight is Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong. So an in-depth uh, look, sort of a, um, a deep dive into her, her feelings about what it, it's been like growing up Asian in the United States um, and all the complexities of living as a, um, you know, as a minority person um, within uh, current culture. Um, also, Ring Shout by P. DeJelly Clark. Absolutely, absolutely love this novella. It was a strong contender for one of my uh, top five. Um, it was a book that Virginia had highlighted on the upcoming books. Um, of the fall, I believe it was. Um, and this was definitely not one to disappoint. It essentially um, takes the KKK or Ku Klux Klan and um, literally turns them into monsters. And um, this, this group of sort of freedom fighters, one would say, um, goes to fight this evil. And my last uh, honorable mention is Upright Women Wanted. And um, this is one that I'm actually currently in the middle of, but it's a very confident uh, pick for me for one of my honorable mentions. Um, Sarah Gailey, who wrote Magic for Liars, which I did not read because at the time it did not seem to appeal to me, not really, again, in my genre wheelhouse. However, I love this 
book so far, sassy librarians who supposedly are upright women who uphold the values of a post-apocalyptic society or you know post-war society, but they are not not upright whatsoever. Love it. Awesome. Thank you. I do have to give the credit for Ring Shout to Corinne. I believe Corinne was the one who mentioned that. So it was good. Could have been, should have been longer. Should have been longer. Agreed. It's okay. He has a he has an actual full-length novel coming out next year. He'll be good. He'll be good. Yeah. All right. And mine are um Rhythm of War. I know Brandon Sanderson. This is the only book I read this year that I read without reading other books at the same time. It came out whatever day it is. And then that's the day I started reading for the whole week. I just immersed myself into that one book. And it was that good that I can actually do that. Um, Black Sun, Rebecca Ronhouse, like, I'm sorry, I couldn't mention you because you were also the really, really, really good like fantasy debut this year. Another great series set in the pre-Columbian America time. Great, great, great start of a series. It will just be us by Joe Kaplan. I think probably my favorite gothic horror haunted house novel this year. It is so creative, so creepy, so good. Death of Vivek Oji by A Quick Amize. I, I love you. Like you're so good. You know, I don't understand how you can be so good. Your writing is just so, so, so good. Um, so I have to get to Fresh Water. That's the only one I haven't read yet. So I can't wait for that. And then another one is a King Arthur um, retelling called By Force Alone by Lavi Tihar. Um, Lavi Tihar is going to be the writer that I'm, I want to go read right now. Um, I can't imagine. It's like King, King Arthur, but they're all like kind of gangsters. And they're basically like, they see something, they want it, and they go take it, you know? So I can't even, like, imagine what the real King Arthur is going to be like because this is this is what King Arthur should be. Um, Night Train by David Kretnik has the, like, sort of my favorite trope, which is a woman or, like, anyone waking up, like, have no idea what's going on. They're on a moving train, and they have to, like, go from train to train to figure out what where she is and what's going on. My favorite. Seven Devils by Laura Lamb and Elizabeth May. Probably one of my favorite space opera novel this year. And Hench, Natalie Cena, Walt Scott, my Canadian pick. And the one with all the spreadsheets and superheroes. So, well, not superheroes, more like supervillains. So those are my shout outs. So it is time, my friends. <laughs> it is time we have our top, top pick. We're going to review our top, top pick now. And I believe I am probably going to lose this game about the Venn diagram game. Pretty sure I'm going to lose. I think Corinne, Sadie, I think you have three, right? Who said three? Corinne is three. I've got three and oh. Okay. And Fiona? I've got two out of three so far. I said three, but I, I don't think my third one's going to pan out. Okay. So you okay. So Liz is the one who thinks that's four. Okay. All right. Okay. Because I, I already, I only picked two. So I think I'm going to lose because I have a feeling what's What's coming? <laughs> Are we ready? Please. <laughs> Please. <laughs> All right. Okay. Wow. Um, here, here we go. Okay. So my number one pick of the year. <laughs> See, this Corinne is so excited not to hear my pick. Just want to know if she, she got it. <laughs> um, my number one pick of the year, I read in January, way back. And I figure... You know, I don't even care what books is going to come out. No, none of the books have come out yet, but I know this is going to be my number one pick. It is 
like I I just knew it already. Nothing is going to unseat it from my number one spot. And it was really irritating because it was so under the radar at that point. And like no one was talking about it. And like I didn't hear anything about it. And I'm just like, oh, come on, people need to read this book. And then, of course, I feel super vindicated last month when it won the National Book Award. And so maybe finally some people are going to go read this amazing, amazing book. And it's so amazing. I actually bought the only hardcover book I bought this year is this one, Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. Now I devour this book, even though this is not a book in verse, but it is written in sort of a half of it is sort of a screenplay format. So it also really, really quick read in, in my mind, but it's also really, it's just such a brilliant piece of work. He plays with style. He plays with the format, the story. It is funny. It is literary. It is weird. It's surreal. It is everything that you need in a book. And I just love it so much. But not only because it's so creative, his message, his commentary doesn't get lost in the style. It is still very, very clear what he is trying to explore in this book, which is racial identity, racism, and especially for the Asian Americans. The story basically is Willis Wu, who is a Chinese American actor born in the States, but because he's Asian, really the only kind of roles that he is given are things like generic Asian man or the disappointing Asian son or the Asian man in the background making a weird face. Those are kind of the roles that he's been sort of pigeonholing because he is Chinese American, but all he wants and, and all Chinese American actors, what they aspire to be one day is that they hope one day they are going to become the Kung Fu guy because that is the top, top role that you can ever get in your life as an Asian American actor. And you train yourself to become the Kung Fu guy and hope that one day you will be there. And this is sort of his life from being just the generic person on a generic buddy cop show to try to work himself out of that generic Asian man role. And of course, all the, all the microaggressions that he's going to face in life, I think sum up to me, the best example was when he talked about how, even though he's born in the States, when he opened his mouth, people will not understand him because he does not speak with an accent. And they don't understand how this face that is clearly Chinese, how can you speak perfect English? That doesn't make any sense. So they don't understand him. And so in all his roles, they always ask him to, can you, can you polish your Asian accent a little bit better? Because it's not Asian enough. Can you make it more Chinese? Can you talk more like a Chinese person? So that it fit into what people believe he should talk like. It is, it is such an amazing story. I love it so much. And I think in, it just comes up perfectly at this time when there are more conversations about race, about anti-racism. But I think for me, it's also a very personal book because it came out in the beginning of the year. And I think it, it gave me permission in some ways to think about like, okay, what is my place as a Chinese person? I, I can identify with all the all the jokes, the inside jokes, I totally understand what's happening in the book. It is just a book that I think I, I can, like it's so close to home for me. Um, and I think what, what really makes the book in some ways is that it, it kind of makes me think about how 
even just my own tradition, my own culture, a lot of the things that I grew up with, a lot of the values that I'm raised with is, is actually hurting enable some of the systemic racism because we're taught to be the model minority. We're taught to be like, okay, you have to be, you know, you can't question the authorities, you know, anybody who's older than you, you have to just nod your head, never, never speak back. In, in my family, at least like in, in a lot of the Chinese culture, it's like, like girls are nothing. So like we have greeting cards that are addressed to my brother when he was 10 years old because he's the only male in the family. So that's why greeting cards are addressed to him. Um, my babysitter will reserve the tenderest parts of the vegetables for him. And then we get the rest of it. Like that's the kind of values that I grew up with. So when you're taught all your life that you are nothing, it's really hard to fight those kind of microaggression. It's even harder when you are, you don't think you deserve anything. And I think this book for me gave me the chance to kind of look at it and be like, you know what? I'm not okay with this. It really helps, gives me sort of, like I said, gives me the permission to say like, no, this is not okay. I'm going to look at how I'm brought up, just trying to figure that out. What it, where's, What is my place? So I think it becomes such a personal book. And, and I, n- I never say this about books, but this is really a life-changing book for me. So um, yeah, so I'm just glad that it won an award that hopefully people will pick it up, um, even though they should have done it before. Um, but it is Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. And Corinne, you'll be very proud of me. I have already reread this book. Hopefully we'll be doing that more. So, so yes, that is my number one pick. I'm so proud. I'm so proud. So proud. And I'm kicking myself because I thought it came out last year. Oh, I feel so stupid. Because again, like Virginia summed it up beautifully. His writing and that book changes the game for me in terms of what a writer can achieve and, and what writing can do. Like it is, it is, the National Book Award is so well-deserved. No one is more masterful with their writing, with taking kind of what seems like a simple concept and spinning it into something amazing. Like it, it deserved all the awards. And I, I, even if you might be put off by like a, a screenplay format, give yourself a couple of pages and you'll find yourself utterly engrossed by it. Just put it on hold. All right. We have number one pick from Sadie. What could it be? Could it be another murder mystery? I might shock and surprise everyone. I'm not going to shock and surprise anyone. Um, I think that it is very easy to figure out. I've talked about this book on two of our book chats now. Uh, One, when we were talking about the books, we were excited that we're going to be coming out in the fall. And one about our retelling episode, our fairy tale retellings. Um, So this book is Legendborn by Tracy Dion. And this is a retelling of the King Arthur story. Uh, I'm not going to go into huge detail because I have described it a couple times Um, but basically it focuses around Brie who is um, a 16 year old who has just been accepted into an early college program uh, at a local university and when she tells her mother about this her mother is very very upset they fight Brie does not uh, talk to her the next day and then her mother is in a tragic car accident and dies 
Brie is struggling with this, but she decides that she's going to go to the early college program. Uh, anyways, on her first night there, she's at a party in the woods and she sees a young uh, student who looks at her and tells her that she, she needs to leave. She needs to leave this party. He starts telling everyone else that they need to leave this party as well. Uh, there are two other students who are having a fight and everyone needs to go. So Bree starts to leave with everyone else and then she kind of shakes her head and, and realizes that she doesn't actually want to leave. She felt compelled to leave, but now she decides that she doesn't want to leave. Uh, so she sneaks back and she witnesses these two students who are having a fight with the young man who told her to leave and another student standing kind of on the outskirts and up above these two students, she starts seeing these kind of colors and she, she senses it's magic. It looks like it could be potentially magical. Um, and she witnesses these other two students who are watching this fight, banish it, get rid of it. She runs out and finds her friends in the woods and uh, goes on with her day. The next day she is meeting up with a student advisor and she sees something else very strange. Uh, she sees a, again, made out of colors and looks like magical beast. Uh, her student advisor pulls out a sword and kills it. She starts to realize that there might be more going on. Um, she starts looking into the series of secret societies that is at this university, and she starts to realize that her mother's death might in fact be connected to these secret societies. So she determines a plan to get into the secret society and figure out what is going on. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. It is an absolute wonderful book. It is action-packed. Um, it has... BIPOC characters, it has LGBTQ characters, it has, um, it talks about slavery and how that is still affecting this university and how it is still affecting the Black students who are at this university and who are having to witness and having to see these statues of, um, of these colonial people and as well as these tiny little memorial statues of the slaves that were also owned by um, by the president of the university and how that affects these these black students every day when they are um, when they're walking around this campus. Uh, so it is just it is multi layered. The magical system that has been developed is very complex. Um, it does take some time to kind of wrap your head around and to understand. But it is. Yeah, it's just an absolute wonderful, exciting fresh and new fantasy book for YA. Um, there's twists in it, there's unexpected endings, and I would definitely recommend it uh, to anyone who who's looking for a fantasy who might not actually be looking for a fantasy and just wants um, a good story with great characters and lots of different levels to it. So that is Legendborn by Tracy Dion. Uh, things are back to normal now. CD's recommending a fantasy pick. Yeah. Why, why a fantasy? <laughs> why a fantasy? Yeah, not just a fantasy. Why a fantasy? And a retelling. And a retelling, yeah. <laughs> just le level it out again. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <sighs> All right, Miss Corrine. Tell us your top, top, top book. My top pick, and I will fully admit that when making these lists, some of them were books that I thought everyone should read, like the, that are like top books of the year. 
And for my number one spot, I kind of reserved it as the top book for me, (laughs) not necessarily for everyone else. Um, And, you know, there are probably others out there in the genre that do it really well, but this was like the perfect book for me. It had everything that I was kind of looking for to distract me from everything else going on. It's a little bit of a ghost story. It's a little bit of investigative true crime. It's got two stories, one happening in the past, one happening in the future, and they kind of intersect. So kind of like a steady premise. And it is written by someone who I think is kind of at the top of their game. And my number one pick for the year, no surprise, is The Sundown Motel by Simone St. James. I'm a big fan of Simone St. James. I think she writes really interesting supernatural crime books, which is not always my genre, but she always does it in such a way that that makes gives a like a little new twist on it. Um, this one is about two women, one of them in 1982 who goes missing, and then her niece in present day who is trying to find out what happened to her aunt when she disappeared from the Sundown Motel apparently into thin air, leaving her purse and her lunch in the microwave. What really spoke to me about this book is that it is really about the injustice of the patriarchy that takes women and grinds them up and uses them and discards them. It is about that anger. It's about women's anger and how it can change things or move things or sometimes hits a brick wall and and can't do anything so it's it's a very compulsive read it is a very spooky read um so if you're looking for something kind of like comforting and cozy this is not it but it is a masterful masterful ghost story and i'd recommend it for all my fellow murderinos out there Thank you. I think we all deserve something for ourselves, right? So yes, number one spots. Likewise, I have chosen something that is kind of all the hallmarks of what what I kind of like. Um, number one for me is Robin Haas' Almost American Girl. Uh, I, I've talked about this one before, so just to kind of recap, it is a memoir and it's a graphic novel. And the author, uh, when she is a young teen, her mom moves her from Korea to uh, the States in what she thinks is just a visit or a vacation and turns out be, to be a real move in which her mom marries. Uh, and so it's really about her struggle and resilience um, in, in this sort of uh, thing happening to her that she um, doesn't expect and how her life goes from there. Um, and it really is like so many hallmarks of what I love. It's about resilience, uh, it's earnest, and from that, um, the, the author's perspective. Um, I noticed that I do a lot of this like parent and child, these close relationships, and I find them really interesting because, you know, you go from reading them as a teen and really seeing everything from the teen's perspective to like now I'm at the point where I'm like, yes, I understand why the parent made that decision and didn't tell her. And like, you know, like there's all of just, just having that 
uh, flip-flop of, of who you identify with. It's really interesting as I age. And it follows... Uh, the, uh, you get to see the person over time, which is what I, something I really joy, enjoy. And of course, it's a graphic novel. So it very much, uh, I read it early on in the year and it kind of hit a lot of the things that I really love about graphic novels and graphic um, memoirs in particular. Thank you, Fiona. That's the right book. It's all back to normal. All right, Liz, I think it's down to you. <laughs> okay, last but not least, I guess. Um, yes, definitely yeah. not least. Well, I'll start by telling a story of um, when I was in high school. So I found that I really loved doing musical theater, and I was really excited when it was that time of year for our latest production. Um, so I had auditioned and, and I was accepted into the cast um, and the teens, we were all discussing what roles we should play. And somebody who I didn't really know at all, they, they looked at me and then they said, oh, she should play the China doll. Now, that was just one microaggression that I've, I've faced as an Asian Canadian person. You know, things like that, comments that are in jest, um, being told that my English was really good, even though I hadn't solicited any feedback on my English and was just having what I thought was a pleasant conversation with somebody. Um, so that's why my number one pick for this year's books um, mirrors that of Virginia's, and that is Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. So reflecting upon this book after reading it, I really felt a connection with Willis Wu. So even though I didn't aspire to be the Kung Fu guy or girl, <laughs> um, it was just so refreshing to see um, representation of Asian people in a story where the Asian person was the primary character, the protagonist, and um, they were trying to break through sort of the constrictions of being part of the so-called model minority. We get to see his struggle. We don't, we don't just see him as a crazy rich person or being you know, the goofy guy, the butt of the joke, the token Asian person in the group. We're, we see Willis through his struggle with his casting and trying to break through the, the box that the casting directors have put him into. And we see that you know, maybe this isn't so far off of our reality, what we see in Hollywood um, today. So I, I just, I just really, I really love this book because not only did I feel like um, I was being represented, that, you know, finally, here's a story that I can relate to wholeheartedly, uh, but also that it was being presented in a way that you know, maybe this will reach a wider audience. Maybe people who are not part of that demographic will pick up this book and read it and just accept it as a really, really strong story. And maybe then they'll see that there's a deeper meaning behind the story. Maybe then that they'll see by what Willis goes through, how, how his struggle is illustrated that, you know what, maybe... Maybe there are parallels to what's going on in, 
in the media today. Maybe maybe this is kind of based off of reality in some strange way. Um, so absolutely, absolutely love this book. Um, I know I know this book has evoked strong feelings for many of us, but on its own, it's such a strongly written work, like Corinne said. Absolutely phenomenal writing. And there are some funny parts in there too, because even amidst, you know, struggle and and misrepresentations, sometimes you just gotta laugh about things and acknowledge that this is really absurd. Now, where can we go from here? So highly recommend you pick it up. Thank you, Liz. We did it. We did it. Our top 25 picks plus more. We definitely have that list. If you haven't taken enough notes, <laughs> or not fast enough to put all of them on hold, um, we'll definitely have the list available for everybody. Um, we'll also have some favorites from our other staff at the Port Moody Public Library that we'll also add to the list. So you get all the choices. I think 2020 is a funny year, but it gave us a chance to do this book chat with everybody. I don't know if we'll ever have a chance to do so, given it we weren't all stuck at home at some point. So there's, there's something good that came out of it. And I just want to thank everybody for listening and being with us for the last how many months. You know, it's been great. And we love talking about books, as you can tell. And we can stay here forever and just talk nonstop, I feel like. Um, but we won't um, because you have holidays to do. So there are two more days in the year. There are still two more days, 48 more hours for you to do some more reading. So now you have a whole long list to choose from. And uh, I hope you have a great holiday, the rest of your holiday, and have a happy new year. Um, anything else that anyone would like to say about their books? Did, did anyone guess all of the duplicates? I am so furious at myself because I honestly thought Interior Chinatown was published last year. It feels like last year. I'm so angry. But you got three. <sighs> you got that right, though. You, you got the number right. I got the right number. Yeah, I got the right number and I got two of the right books. I just didn't get the third one. What was the other book? I'm curious. I thought um, King Ji Young born 1982 because I know Corrine had read that and I know Fiona had read that. Um, and those were actually the two that I thought would duplicate. I, I oh no, because I think I maybe knew that Liz read it as well. So I, I, I wondered, I wondered. What was on your list, Corrine? I was hoping for Mexican Gothic. I was ho and you didn't even give it an honorable mention. <laughs> I feel betrayed. <laughs> betrayed. Liz, you have four on your list. Yeah, I had Interior Chinatown. I thought Corinne might choose Thursday Murder Club. Um, it, it was close. It seemed close in your in your recap of your uh, yeah. honorable mentions. Yeah, um, Bone Chart Daughter. I thought would come up. Yeah, again, and House of the Cerulean Sea. I did get though. I, I thought that Liz might have put Almost American Girl on hers, but then I knew once we kind of went past the like five and four, I was like, yeah, it's going to be way up there. <laughs> Strong pick though. Strong pick. I'm glad you, I'm glad you included it in your list. It's impossible. This picking is impossible. impossible. But we did it. <laughs> but we did it. 
did you get both of yours right, Virginia? Because you said two. Did you get? Uh, I got, yeah, because I knew, I kind of knew it was about interior Chinatown. And I knew, I think you and yeah. I were going to yeah. take house in the Surreal Sea. But I completely forgot about when start. So when yeah. that happened, I'm like, oh, that's, that's the number three. But so angry. I'm so angry. I just need to check the publication <laughs> date of it. And I did it. I'm so excited to start reading for next year. <laughs> yeah. A good note to end it on, Fiona. A good note to end it on. Yeah. And Corinne, this year has been like eons long, right? So I can't. It has. I'm just furious at myself because I would have put it in my list too. And then we, then Liz could have won with like another, another crossover. I, I, oh, that's fine. It'll be on my, my top of 2021. How's that? <laughs> I'm a year behind in everything. So. <laughs> Uh, all right well thank you again and we are going to go do some more reading i think you know mm-hmm. get this for 2021. <laughs> and the book chat is not done yet you know we'll be back next week yeah we'll be back next week so we'll see you in the new year new year everyone Bye. 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 Happy new year. thank you for listening if you like our show please tell a fellow book lover about it You can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes. Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm